Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for a Savage Critics website. After the election, but before the holidays, Graham McMillan and I bring you Wait, What? Episode 106 with more than two hours and ten minutes of comic book crosstalk. Today we discuss the end of Hellblazer, the rise of Constantine, and the possible fall of Vertigo. An in-depth discussion on the current heights being hit by 2000 AD, Action Comics 14, Willow Wonderland number 1 by Jeff Parker and Brian Ching, Earth 2 number 6, Stumptown number 3, Captain America 19 by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epstein, Colder number 1 by Paul Tobin and Juan Ferreria, The Iceman series from 1984 by J.M. DeMatteis and Alan Cooperberg, and The Wonder and Astonishment that is Ethan Reilly's Popats number 3 from Madhouse Books. As always, show notes are available over at SavageCritic.com, where questions and comments are always welcomed and read. And, as always, we thank you for listening, and hope you enjoy. Jeff Lester! Yes, sir! It's working? Everything, all systems seem go, sir. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah. Are are we on our batteries to power our turbines to speed? Turbines to speed. Yeah, no, we are also, it is, we are, we are live. We are, we are hot. (laughs) We are live. Apart from if anyone listens to this, when we are live, five days. Yeah, exactly. When we are dead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh God, neither you said that. That could be hundreds of years from now. That's all I'm saying. I like Jeff. to think of it as a half-full. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jeff. All right, fine, fine, fine. My goodness. So, Jeff, Jeff, a moment of silence for Hellblazer. I'm sorry, did you say something? What? Are we... What? <laughs> really? You didn't hear that? Because that's hilarious. <laughs> I said a moment of silence for hell. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I was, there was then silence, and I was like, Jeff's really going for this joke. I, I know. You didn't hear me. Yeah, sorry. That kind of, I sort of threw that uh, threw that one off a little bit. Yeah, kind of big news. Like, um, like that. that is huge, huge vertigo but, news. But here's the thing. Are you surprised? Because... I'm not. Like, it's mm-hmm. big news, but I can't say I'm surprised. Have you not been expecting this since they were like, hey, Justice League Dark, look who's in it. Yeah, you know, honestly, uh, I'll be honest with you. I I think it could have gone another way. Um, and essentially, mm-hmm. as long as... Once it became the case that DC is committed to keeping 52 titles in the new 52, uh and that they've had sort of diminishing returns with each successive wave of release. Mm. Um, I think that at that point, uh, yeah, it truly was inevitable. Now, I think maybe if they had been more flexible about the new 52 and allowed the the titles to sort of... Find their level and... Just... Yeah, yeah, the, the, to, let, to let the line find the pro- proper number of titles and, and figure out ways to reintroduce books... You know, not as in like, oh, we've got to cancel four, so we've got to move four in there. Um, then, then I can actually see where they might have been okay doing, um, you know, keeping keeping Constantine in JLD, and then continuing to to do Hellblazer the way they want, or even testing the market for for two titles, which is a shame because I honestly think that unfortunately, um, Hellblazer doesn't really seem to sell at the levels that they could risk 
sort of dividing the traffic yeah, that way. Exactly. Although mm-hmm. I I said on Twitter today and I I still think this is a good idea that Vertigo could keep Hellblazer as an ongoing concern by doing it as OGNs. Especially given, did you see the number of British writers who were like, I always thought that I would get a chance at writing Hellblazer? Mm, mm. Well, see, that's it. I think I think that you're absolutely right. If they were smart, they would do. I don't think that they actually saw such hot returns on the Hellblazer, the one Hellblazer OGN they did. Oh, they've done, they've done a few. Yeah, they've done more than one, uh, right? I just remember. Ian Rankin did one for the Vertical Crime line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Delano did one with Jock. Yeah, Mike Carey did one. Yeah, and and uh, didn't Denise Minna do one? I think she just did a run on the regular title. Did she I do th- an OGN as well? I thought for some reason, maybe I'm completely wrong. I know I she did a run on the regular did. title, but I thought she did an OGN. But yeah, okay, so they've done several OGNs with Constantine. So, so if they can make that work, but I I actually was going to suggest that they actually do something a little more like what they did with their recent horror one shot. You know, which is do a, a you know, a seven ninety nine annual or something like that. Maybe even do that quarterly if the sales support it, and and essentially use that as a way to to you know recruit and test British right talent, you know, and and let them have a go at it. You know. No, yeah, no, I I think I think it'll be sad if the if Vertical completely lets go of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would not be surprised if they are having to let go of the characters. You know, it's yes. just. You know, because uh, the DCU line is taken back, Animal Man, Swamp Thing, Shade. Yeah. You know, I, so it's it doesn't surprise me that it's like, and really, we just, we're going to take all of Constantine as well, because you're not doing that much with them. And you've got to, it's, to be fair, I mean, when you look at Hel- what Hellbuzzer's selling, mm-hmm. and presumably Milligan was planning to leave with issue 300 anyway, because he's been on there for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised that they were like, if we're going to make a new start, let's make a new start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's I no, really no believe them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When you've got numbers that at least in on the US are that low, um I think that they can, you know, they're they're thinking we jump, you know, to a Constantine in the DCU and we can like triple those numbers and then depending how it goes, you know, worst case scenario goes, there's no reason why they can't return to the Hellblazer format for Vertigo with the exact same logistics and as long as they do enough marketing to make, you know, certainly the UK market aware of it, sell about the same numbers. You know? Yeah, it's just I, I feel I feel really sad because it's DC's longest running unnumbered title. Yeah. But that's kind of it. Like in terms of, you know, Hellblazer itself going, I don't feel the upset that so many people are Well it's it's it is hard for me because I, you know, um I did I pretty much have zoned out on on it, the title for a long, long time. That, that's what I mean. Like, I can't mm-hmm. feel too upset because I read it for a while and then I dropped off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even hearing like very good stuff uh, from and about Milligan, um, you know, Milligan's work on it, I was just like. Mm. But on the other hand, I definitely see the point of not only was Constantine like. Um, you know, a crucial Vertigo title, but it really was a, a very crucial British UK title. You know, it it was, uh, it's it's the closest that either Marvel or DC has to anything. I don't want to say like Judge Dredd because that's so totally in a class all its own. But you know, as far as being a Brit character that works for Brits, 
you know? I mean, like they were trying to cook up with, I don't know, Captain Britain or, you know, mm. DC's core blimey, you know, whatever, right? you know. Core blimey was, was great. <laughs> he, he was. He was. A little unfortunate in the naming situation, but I have to admit some of the storylines that came up with him were stellar. Um, you know, like that, that is a, that's a genuine legacy. And it is, it makes you a little antsy when you go to, to, to swap it out, you know? I mean, yeah. especially because although it was, it was at a very low number, it appeared to be a very consistent low number, you know? And when you factor in UK sales, I'm sure they were able to eke out, you know, something like a profit. So. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree. But part of me is also like, well, eking out a profit when they think they can do more. Well, you know, yeah, what, sure. Is that really going to to happen? You know, because that's if that was if eking out a profit was was their plan, then none of the reboots would have taken place. Well, let's put it this way: there were certainly a lot of reasons. DC tends to overindulge, I think, in the concept. Of legacy of like bef previously, you know. Yeah, I, I definitely when Levitz, definitely when Levitz was there. Mm -hmm. I don't. I think those days are gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, on the one hand, you're absolutely right. This is going to, you know, uh, the, it's tough because the character's been in jail, JLD for such a long time. You know, previously, after everyone was kind of knocked on their ass for the saga, of the Swamp Thing stuff, you know, and the Brightest Day stuff, I think. There, there was a strong conception that a Constantine title, you know, a reboot, and I, and I, I, I assume uh, because I haven't really read any of the press releases, I assume it is a given that he's going to be in the DCU. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's right. It's Constantine as New Fifty Two character. It's part of the New Fifty Two line. Yeah. So uh, you know, honestly, depending on who they get to write it and how who who's on the team and how they do it, you know, they could be launching it it you know, easily three or four times the numbers that they were selling with the old title. And if it's good, they can actually continue to, you know, hopefully maintain those numbers over the over the course of several years before it eventually... You, you haven't seen the press release because they've announced the, the creative team. Oh, see, I don't know. Yeah. It's Robert Venditti who did The Surrogates, the, mm -hmm. the top shelf thing that became mm -hmm. the Bruce Willis film. Mm -hmm. He's also writing Exo Manowar right now for Valiant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's taking over Demon Knights, the the Paul Cornell, hmm. um, Etrigan series, right? In in the Dark Ages uh, for DC, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Renato Guides is going to be doing art. Hmm. Uh, it's nothing to sneeze at. It's not what it's. It's um... not what you traditionally think of for Hellblazer, but that might be the point. Well, how do I put this? <laughs> I would think that considering the success that they've seen, um, you know, my first things would have been, you know, it's like whether, you know, whether it would have been a great choice or a horrible choice, you know, I think if you got Jeff Johns in there to do the first year, you'd be seeing some stellar numbers. I think if you saw Scott Snyder or even Jeff Lemire in there, you would see some really strong oh, numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, they're not approaching it as this is our big book at all. Yeah, and I think that that's a mistake. Uh, not not well or rather if they take that approach, then I think the I think the marketplace is going to respond, you know way more in line with well 
what are you know i'm i you know i'm looking at my justice league dark numbers maybe times one and a half or times two as opposed to like well i'm going i'm going to go with hellblazer times three or in the case of if they launched it with like you know uh jeff john's in there like you know my hellblazer numbers times six or something you know so and and, i'm i'm looking right now i'm trying to find justice league dark in the charts okay mm -hmm. so if it say they order at justice league dark numbers Mm -hmm. they would be ordering it more than three times higher Oh, good. Oh, interesting. Almost four times as much as Hellblazer is selling. Okay. What's it? Is JLD like at 28,000, 33,000? 34,000. Oh, 34,000. Okay. Right. See, and that's, so that's not, so yeah, that's what they're kind of focused for. Hellblazer's nine and a bit. Nine and a bit. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, really, Mm -hmm. that's, I think if they got that, they'd be completely happy. Bear in mind, of course, that Jeff Lemire's doing Justice League Dark. Oh, yeah. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it works out, you know. Um, but yeah, so you can really see people going in at JLD numbers, uh, uh, and oh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely for the first issue, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly, or, or higher, yeah. Um, my my other thing is, it would be very surprising if they do this, mm-hmm. but I was thinking before it would be really funny if Constantine launches and it's mature readers and just not Vertigo, because DC has mature readers label because that's what the Before Watchmen books are, right. They, outside of Vertigo. They may. They they, they certainly they may. I really don't think they will. I, I don't think so either. I mean, because frankly... Why would they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. the code is a thing of the past for one thing, and, and DC is far, like pretty much like Marvel. They don't really pay much attention to their labeling, I don't think. Not, not in any sort of conscientious, responsible way. Um, you know, I don't think that they're you know i mean i think they know what they can't do but certainly if you're gonna you know we're you're still just gonna see as many decapitated heads scuttling around on like claws jutting out of its neck oh it's it's a language thing mm-hmm. that's that's really what it is it's yeah. a language is language and nudity yeah that, language that. and nudity but right as far as violence goes you know i mean jesus what, what what was the book where the guy just like yanked off the other dude's hand you know um, from like, what was that book? Remember, it was like two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. and we were like, it was really totally like, uh, like over the top. Remember? What, what did we both read that came out two weeks ago? Mm. I really can't remember for the life of me. <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, I'm like, uh, I unfortunately, you know, rather than risk uh, uh, like, making it sound like someone stomping across the floor, I do know that if we go to Savage Creek and check out the, I don't know if it's the last. Entry like I'm like well it wasn't multiple warheads and it wasn't Marvel Comics the Untold story so or was it <laughs> so I'm I'm a little on the tapped outside let me see if I can open up I can't yeah I'm I'm it. looking right now to try to find it it's it's the Flash oh right that's what it was it I... was the Flash yeah with Gorilla Grodd kind of going oh yeah I trickster rip yeah got your nose except it's actually my nose I mean your hand <laughs> uh, so here's my other question. Vertigo's fucked, right? Yeah, I would say that Vertigo's fucked. Um, because if you think of what has finished in the last year for Vertigo, iZombie's gone, Scalp's gone, mm-hmm. Sweet Tooth is gone. Yeah. Dominic Laveau Voodoo Child is gone, but let's be honest, <laughs> you know, that, that leaves no mark at all. Right. Saucer Country is going to be gone. Yes. In six months. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Which will leave them with, what, three ongoing titles? Two mm-hmm. of which are Fables books? Right. Because like, American Vampire is going in hiatus. Right. 
So we'll leave them with Fables, Ferris, and The Unwritten as ongoing titles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not healthy. No, it's not. You know, th- th- there's so many interesting things. I mean, I know that you have a sort of, whenever I talk about um, the dumb things that Hollywood studios do that kind of, you know, cut off their uh, own nose to teach the rest of their face a lesson, um, you- you're somewhat poo-pooish about it when, it when it moves into the realm of conspiracy. But considering the number of movies that have been made from Vertigo properties over the last decade. Now, separate and apart from whether or not they succeeded or failed in the marketplace, because more often than not... They failed. Yeah, but, you know... <laughs> but, but No, there's not even more often than not. Outside of History of Violence, which wasn't a Vertigo title to begin with, mm-hmm. what Vertigo title has turned into a successful film? Well, what, what Vertigo... What Vertigo non-Alan Moore property... Because I, because honestly, I'm willing to bet that they, you know, they turned a profit on V for Vendetta. Yeah, um, probably. Sure. You know, I also uh, forgot about V for Vendetta. I was thinking of Losers and Constantine and exactly. There's another one. What is the other one? Mm, eh, I don't know. Well, well, wa- Watchmen not... may have come out under Vertigo title. Did they? No, I guess it's no, just DC. It, yeah. So, um, I know that there's one that I'm overlooking, uh, um, but. I kind of wonder, like, okay, so you're so you're you're some executive in charge of DC Entertainment, right? And you are looking at your conversion rates for, of, you know, the number of properties that you're turning out that are being turned into other media properties. Compared to Vertigo, you look really damn bad, you know. Um, so there's part of me that I think. It makes a lot of sense for the powers to be at B that are kind of going, you know what, if we just sort of, you know, despite the uh, that Vertigo in a way is almost the victim of its own 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 near success, I should say. Yeah, that but that's that's the part that makes me think that can't be right, because you get rid of Vertigo and you are cutting off DC's sole outlet for new IP. Mm hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Why would you do that? Like, it just doesn't seem smart. Like when you've got a, when you've got sole IP, you know, you, when you've got an IP generator like that by promising people, you know, a, a portion of the proceeds, admittedly, um, why would you, why would you snip off that revenue source unless you feel that it's competing too strongly with some other part of your revenue source? You know, and I know that that doesn't make a lot of sense. That people would be like, "Well, but well what you yeah, know, but, you but can't the, really like, say that the people you can only who... really ha- you can only really have that that it doesn't make sense argument right. if you're assuming that these things make sense, which they don't. Right. Like if they're if DC are just working on a fear basis, mm-hmm. then it makes perfect sense. Well, yeah, but I if mean, this thing makes right. us look bad, therefore. <laughs> Right. Well, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think they get into that, that area of like, um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it does, it, it seems sort of crazy that someone's going to be like, what? Well, I, if I can't make, you know, why the last man, then okay, I'll turn around and make this, you know, wildcats property that you guys keep telling me is awesome. You know, it doesn't really seem like it would work like that, but I do sometimes wonder, I think it's very strange that, you're seeing Hellblazer get canceled, 
Vertigo seems to be atrophying, and there's this crazy rumor that there's going to be a Justice League Dark movie. You know what I mean? Like, that just seems like a... Which is the greatest rumor in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, it's a fantastic rumor. But it also kind of seems like it's a rumor of like, oh, hey, someone's going to, someone talented is going to make this movie that is based on all these formerly Vertigo characters that are now in DC. Yeah, but you see, that that logic doesn't track to me because you can trace all of those characters back to pre-Vertigo. Because really, the movie Del Toro is talking about making is essentially American Gothic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, and how do I put this? Yes, absolutely. But, uh, I mean, A, that would be ironic because, once again, it's like, you know... <laughs> It's 30 years down the pike and people still are kind of like, yeah, I want to do the Alan Moore one. Like, this sounds like a great way to be able to do, you know, another Alan Moore movie. You know, my favorite Alan Moore story. But but I also do think that there's a way in which it's kind of like someone's saying, like, see, this is what we can do with the new 52 that you can't do with Vertigo. You know? Yeah. It's somebody up the line. Now, I mean, it could be other things. I've heard that, you know, Karen Berger does not like Dan DiDio in the slightest. And, you know, there was a lot of rumors that she was going to be leaving when Paul Levitz left, and that's clearly not the case. So I think it's the next quote-unquote best thing, which is is that Vertigo is just going to be kind of ignored and quasi-smothered in the crib. And then I, I guess they'll think that if they really need it down the line, they can do it, you know. But I think they would much rather have it be they it's a little bit like what you were saying about the um what what that great quote from uh in the Sean Howe book where Tom DeFalco is like yeah it's a new universe of characters but we're not getting a new universe of creators you know we're still pulling from the same goddamn creators so why would we do this you know and the answer is if you you know like if you cut one of your lines you know, so that you have talented British writers who, instead of holding out for writing Hellblazer, are going to take a shot entering the market with Doll Man, you know, or Phantom Lady, then, you know, you're, you're serving the larger machine that way. You know? mm-hmm. Quite last question, and then I will shut up about Hellblazer. Mm hmm. Do you think Sandman, when it comes out, is going to have a vertical label on it? No, no. I I would have been I would have been surprised if that happened. I, well, I, I haven't been paying attention. Is before Watchmen had that? No. Nope. Yeah. So yeah, my answer is no. Because <laughs> my thought, my first, my instinct is no as well. Because mm-hmm. I think DC wants to claim it as a DC title. Mm-hmm. But it's is it not also being created as the twentieth anniversary of Vertigo Project? Yeah, and they may they may change the branding, they may not hit that, or they may they may even do this weird thing where Vertigo, you know, is Yeah, I don't know. And that's actually a really good point, you know. I, I personally think that, that DC will say that stuff to get the headlines or get the attention, or even again to play inner office politics, you know. But did you see the thing uh that uh God I can't even remember her name, Laura somebody. Um, the quote from the Dundee comic day where Grant Morrison said that Karen Berger approached him to go back to Invisibles for next year, mm, mm. and he and he said no. Mm-hmm. 
I, I saw that that was I saw that quote, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, first of all, I, and the other thing was I said on Twitter that I was expecting 100 more bullets. And Rich Johnson's like, you know, they're doing that, right? <laughs> are they? Yeah, apparently they are. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I wonder if Vertigo is going to end up being like a greatest hits and essentially just fold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, because this whatever has made a name in the marketplace makes it that much easier you know, to publicize and push his product and, you know, you don't have to do any of the heavy lifting in that regard. Um, it's so sad. Mm -hmm. It is. It's very sad. And so there's a way in which, uh, you know, DC is, it's, it's the new slightly more avaricious Bain capitalesque version, you know, of DC where it's going to be like, you know, the we we just have to keep these uh these furnaces going you know what chair can we break down and throw in there next you know and i you know at least the people who are getting the opportunity to have their their product um you know their i that they own their ip they're going to get decent contracts to get reapproached for that sort of thing i'm sure they'll be seeing good money or, or better participation on the back end, you know, as is supposedly happening with Gaiman or I assume with, with Azarello if they do a hundred more bullets or whatever. But but it's sad that you're not going to see more innovation. I, yeah, you know. I, I do a hundred bullets. Mm -hmm. Like, it'll be really, and this sounds like this weird backhanded compliment that's not meant to be, it'll be really weird if the last two all new original books that come out of Vertigo Right. In terms of ongoing series, are Dominic Lefou and Saucer Country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. uh, just it's sad. It's sad, Jeff Lester. Well, okay. Here's the thing that's interesting: is a few years ago, I would have found it a lot more sad. You know, in a marketplace where Saga is selling the numbers that it's selling, um, I have a certain degree of hope. You know what I mean? In the idea of at least some of the, if the stronger established stuff, you know, this means that if this means that people have to take chances and go to, uh, you know, image or, mm -hmm. you know, self-publish on their own digitally, you know, go yeah. through monkey brain or something. Well, I mean, that, that's just it. You mm -hmm. have an, you have a monkey brain. You, yeah. You have other outlets. Yeah. So uh, in that regard, I'm incredibly hopeful, but uh, how do I put it? I'm trying to, to to flip it, I'm trying to think, is there a talent apart from Brian K. Vaughn that sort of not just made their name, but was actually able to sharpen their chops at Vertigo, you know, like new talent? Because I and I could be completely mistaken in this. Well, how are you defining new talent? For example, could Jeff Lemire, could you make the case for Jeff Lemire? I don't know. See, that's it. I think of Lemire as having done enough stuff in in comics. Books. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But at the same time, Vaughn had done a shitload of stuff at Marvel. Well, I wouldn't exactly call it a shitload. Okay. He'd done some... He wasn't brand new published. Yeah. He, he wasn't yeah. brand new published, but he was not as... His I chops guess, I, weren't, I, weren't as honed as yeah, when I, Ellis I, or I, Ennis or someone showed up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I keep forgetting like he did Swamp Thing before he did Why. I keep mm -hmm. thinking for some reason like Why was his first vertical book. Yeah. Um, when was the last? That's a really good question. Yeah. 
Because I because I think that actually no, it's not Scott Snyder. Oh yeah, I suppose that's true. Absolutely, right. <laughs> yeah, it really would be Scott Snyder. Yeah. So I mean, you know, if you have guys, and that, I think that's probably you know, I'm very obsessed with uh, finding <laughs> what's that. Jason Aaron, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Actually, Jason Aaron's a pretty good one, too. I mean, Aaron Aaron really did work his ass off so that he he wasn't so, um, you know, but but yeah, no, point taken. And I think that, uh, to me, that's the stuff where I wonder and I worry, is, is that being able to have, because there's a lot of people who, you know, Image has published a ton of people uh, over the years. But because of the way that it, you know, the whole thing's set up, they're not really getting, you Trait. know, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't, yeah, you don't get paid to actually publish an image. You sort of put it, line everything up. And if you're lucky, you know, you actually no, see. But the other thing is also image publishes a lot of stuff that is so almost ready for prime time, but isn't. Yeah, exactly. But exactly. somehow like through whatever magic they have managed to get it through image. Mm-hmm. But like you read it and you're like. Oh God! If only an editor was there. Yeah. Oh. Or because a lot of them have editors. You're like, if only the editor actually stepped in. Mm-hmm. I was like, you've got to, you've got to take another swing at this. You've got to take another pass at this. Yes. Oh my God. I. Which reminds me, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that later. But yes, absolutely. Oh, oh I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think you probably do as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but really, there, there are. That's the problem with. That's the problem with the image or the mm-hmm. monkey brain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That. There are so many more outlets for people. Right. But what Vertigo offered, mm-hmm. and I think Vertigo was really the last bastion of this in Big Two Publishing, Yeah, was somewhere to learn. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Somewhere yeah. to take risks and somewhere to fail, but also somewhere where an editor would be there to be like, okay, this is what you should be doing instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these days you can't do that at the other Marvel and DC lines because there's, you know... It's like, I mean, I feel, I was thinking about this the other day, I feel really bad for Dennis Hopeless, mm-hmm. who, beside, beside his choice of name. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, Cable and X-Force is going to come out, and that's such a high-profile book already. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's his first fucking ongoing book. Yeah. yeah. That's horrendous. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, exactly. That really is sink or swim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's sink or swim, you know, in a marketplace that, that, you to sink that will tie yeah. to your feet exactly exactly so you know it's kind of i i was actually thinking back because um uh, i i had the uh, interesting situation of going to uh aardvark books over on church street and market um here in san francisco and it had been a while like maybe a year or two since i had had been there and they have had in the past a very quirky uh, graphic novel situation, you know. It's, I don't know. Did you ever really go there when you were in San Francisco? I no, I don't even remember artwork books. Like I was trying to when you were saying where it was. I was like, I don't think I've ever been. Yeah, because it's it's Church and Market, so I can see where it would necessarily be your thing. But I know I would, when I like way out of my way. Mm-hmm, exactly. So unless you're sort of. Unless you're going to Artvark Books. Exactly, exactly. Like when I tweeted about it, Ian Brill totally, totally knew what I was on about. And I think, I think I've heard other people like David Brothers mention it. So they had this really weird situation where they, you know, would have 
boxes of graphic novels up near the front of the store, and it was pretty much, you know... Is this like a weird second times kind of head bookshop? It's it's more just like a general bookshop. It's not actually a head bookshop, but it is a used bookstore. Everything is, it's usually half off the cover. It wasn't the one I was thinking of then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and... Uh, you know, it was there where it's like I've saw some, I've seen some great stuff sitting there, and I've seen a lot of shit. Like I've seen stuff where like somebody clearly just took them for a ride. You know, maybe another employee, and just like stuff where it's like nobody should have bought this because you will never sell it for even half off. Anyway, I went in there the other day, and their collection is astounding. I don't know if it's just hard times in San Francisco or somebody who had an amazing collection liquidated it, but it is, I would, I would say that it is actually a better collection of DC and Marvel graphic novels there and indie books. It's at least uh, commensurate to green apple books. And I'm inclined to give it like a leg up. Wow. Because at a certain point, as far as I can tell, Green uh, Apple just sort of stopped buying graphic novel stuff because they were so backed up with <laughs> essentials uh, and showcase reprints and stuff like that. Um, but I'm stunned. I was stunned. Like Marvel had just like it. It was the um, I had to figure out where my ethics really lie in this sort of Marvel secondhand. Do I support it or not? Kind of thing. But I had a choice of not only did they have the Doctor Strange, Steve Englehart, Frank Bruner trade. But they also had all that material in the whatever it was, the second or third Doctor Strange showcase that came out, you know, mm-hmm. like also for half price. They had like a number of I mean, it's just that weird mix of like, as far as I can tell, every volume of the Ultimate Spider-Man hardcovers and then weird like they had Roberto Aguirre Sacasa Spider-Man trades, you know, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. clearly like went out of print like the day after they rolled off the printing press pretty much. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so in the course of flipping through that stuff, I was thinking very much about Aguirre Sacasa, you know, which I hadn't tracked him. He's, uh, was an incredibly dull comic book writer as far as I was concerned. And he only sticks in my head cause he actually came into comics experience and was shopping once, uh, with his boyfriend cause he was in town, I think for a play that was being staged. And he was mm-hmm. incredibly, I wouldn't have known it was him if it wasn't for literally giving me the credit card to ring through. And it, I had one of those weird moments of like, oh, hey, I just wrote shit about you on the internet. You know, I was like, I, I, I didn't <laughs> want to say that. Oh, hey, I don't know who you are. And like, Definitely I know who you know are, but I in no way like your work, you know, kind of thing. So I just yeah. kept kept my mouth shut. But it was impressive that he was, you know, he was your typical, like, coming into a comic book store i have absolutely no pretensions i'm picking up stuff that i like um you know and i didn't realize but this remake that they're doing of stephen king's carrie with uh chloe moretz uh, mm-hmm. is was written by aguirre sacasa you know? oh he's he's everywhere he is i went to he, imdb he rewrote he, yeah he rewrote the spider-man musical right he's a producer in glee yes he did he did some other tv show he, he, yeah like two seasons of big love he's yeah. on the glee project as himself for a couple of episodes and it was yeah just like, he, no he's 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 like a he's a big deal yeah 
yeah, uh, but he was a big deal before he came to comics. Do you remember, like, he'd won playwright? Or yeah, he was a prom- He was like a promising playwright. And his plays, I saw a couple of reviews in the New York Times and here in SF Chronicle. They sounded dull as hell, but, but they really did get good reviews. And I'm like, okay, so he's, you know, so he's good is what I'm saying. But I just remember he was, there's that whole generation of guys who were writing at Marvel during Bill Jameis era, who it was kind of sink or swim, and most of them sank, you know, because mm-hmm. they just were like, I mean, some of them in the case of Aguirre Sacasa went on to do something well, but I can't help but think if that guy is big everywhere else, he could have written decent comics, you know, and, and I'm sure maybe someone's going to write in and tell me what he was doing was great, and I just... Well, that, that's just it, like... Yeah, no, but also it's really possible that he was writing decent comics by someone else's standard. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he kept getting work. Yeah. It's not It's not like he was drummed out of the industry because he, his stuff didn't sell. I mean, isn't he still doing stuff for Marvel? Mm, yes. In fact, he actually did uh, one of the, the season one novelizations, and I can't remember which one. Yeah, and, he, and I'm fairly sure he's also doing uh, like – the stand or, or one of the Oh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he was like doing that. the stand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think obviously so he was enough of a success that he kept getting work. Sure. So, I, you know, it's one of those, I wouldn't say it was a complete flop, Jeff, because he's, right. you know, he's still working. Well, true, um, true. But, uh, and so maybe he's a horrible, yeah, I guess you're right. He is actually a horrible example. But remember that woman that wrote the White Tiger series? You oh, know? it's Mona Pierce, yeah. Is she doing other stuff? I... She's she's being a successful young adult novelist and probably never coming back to the comics after okay. the reaction she got from White Tiger. Oh, White Tiger alone. Yeah, I remember it was pretty negative. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So yeah, I just feel like a lot of people get thrown into the deep end of the pool like Dennis Hopeless. And, you know, if you're... But, okay, here's the question. Do you mm-hmm. think that publishers like Oni are going to take the place of your DCs or your Marvels. I'm just thinking this uh, about Colin Bunn, mm-hmm. who broke in through Oni and right. got to have the experience of doing Six Gun, mm-hmm. uh, Six Gun for, what, two years? Yeah. Be- before really landing a, an ongoing book. Right. Well, and, and, an and ongoing big two book. Marvel, but yeah, yeah exactly. Funny. Well, it's tough because he, a lot of people think that he like pretty much had the chops, you know, out of the gate with Six Gun. You well, know? yeah. Have you read Six Gun? Uh, I've got all the issues. Well, all I've got it. I've got it. I've got a dozen issues that I've cobbled together via Comicsology sales, and I still haven't oh, I, read it. I love it. I yeah. really, really like it. I, I, I think when you read the the start of it mm-hmm. again, this might be something where you read and you're like, eh, it just didn't work for me. I think it's really dull. But for me, it really did work. Right. And it wasn't a. There's not a really obvious learning curve. There really mm-hmm. is a. Okay, this guy kind of knows what he's doing from the word go. Right. Right. But, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm not familiar enough with him. You know, Joshua Hale uh, Fiklov, who, um, you know, was also kind of thrown into the deep end in a way in terms of like he was writing a couple of new 52 books. He actually has published, um, written a lot of stuff in the indie realm for, I think, Archaea and also just for himself for stuff that's been published through Image. Um, so, yeah, I guess the guys who the guys who want to find a way will find a way. I just I... I wish that there were more people who could get a chance. Like, there's not going to be that many people who are going to get a chance to do a Dominique Laveau again. And 
on on the one hand, there's a sense of like, oh, that's a shame. But I can also feel like I feel like there's a bunch of people who ended up being big names at Vertigo or big names inside the industry who needed the time and the regular paycheck to be able to learn how to do it right. You know? No, totally. I think you're totally right. So um are we going to break this sucker up in installments? Should I call you back and then maybe we can well, talk a little bit? Because we have come to a, a natural break. I, I did notice so. that someone in the comments last time was like, I hope you're not going to break your rhythm. I think we're kind of finding our rhythm. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we've gone over half an hour. It's not like at half an hour point. We're like, stop. Right. Right. But I can definitely see where my next I point, you know, it can just as easily break until, the, you know, wait until the next time we come back for break. Then let's do that. Okay. That sounds also, fabulous. Also, you are on your whole new system. It might be a good idea to stop and save mm -hmm. and make sure that happens. <laughs> yeah. Very much agreed, sir. Not Very that I'm agreed. paranoid or anything, but yeah, yeah let's do that. Yeah, well, after the... After the whole lost episode where it was like, hey, we may have talked for 90 minutes for nothing. Woo. You know. Yeah, exactly. I, I think oh. since then we've both been very good about like, okay, 30 minutes. Let's save. So. Yes. Let's stop. Yeah. So uh, give me, let's let's call it like two minutes and then uh, I'll give you a call back. Yeah. That sounds like a plan. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, uh, I don't know. Did you want to do your usual... Um, uh, lead out for the listeners so I can put in our, our, our teaser promo music. <laughs> Jeff, I think you should do it. No, I'm no good at that stuff. You're like, Mr. Like, and welcome back. You know, like, but that's it. you do it when you come back, you don't do it when you leave. But you did it last time, as I recall. Well, it was something like, say, yeah, we'll you're be like, right back yeah, after these messages. See, perfect, perfect. Welcome back. <laughs> perfect. Just perfect, Graham. You're professional through and through. I have to I say. am. I'm, I am a, a radio personality, obviously. <laughs> so uh, last, when we last spoke, we were talking about uh, areas to have talent break in and develop. And I thought it would actually be a very fun thing, at least to mention in passing, um, as I think you know... Um, I picked myself up as a, as a as a little birthday present for myself, a digital subscription to 2000 AD. So I, I would be very very curious to see what you think about it because for me 2000 AD is in one of its irregular golden periods right now. I'm I am I literally am stopping everything to read 2000 AD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right I now. I actually had that moment. Um, I think it was now I, I, there's a little funky thing that happens with the iPad when you have a digital subscription for 2000 AD, which is like when you log in once a week, the first thing it does is it's like, you know, subscribe. And you're like, no, thank you. And then it brings up the store um, and it and it acts as if because you just turned down a subscription, you can't 
the, you, you, the don't, new, you don't get one. <laughs> yeah, you don't get the latest item. You the, it's like you have to buy it. So I managed to get around that by fully closing the app and reopening. And then it was like, oh great. So all of which is to say, I would I think the latest issue of 2000 AD was available maybe Monday night. I think. And I or Tuesday, and I downloaded it and read it almost immediately because I enjoyed the previous issue so much. So you know, I jumped in at the first issue of um, Cold Al Deck. Ewing's Cold Deck. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, now, did you jump in at the first issue, or as Al pointed out to me on Twitter, did you jump in at the prologue, which was actually two issues earlier? I did not. But the nice thing is, because I I missed that email between the two of you but i think you mentioned it at a blog at entry and i'm going to be able to to jump back and and read that one as well okay so no in fact um i really had such a good strong reaction to that first issue in the sense of like um as opposed to when they released the the 2000 ad app uh and they had it uh, a bumper issue that I didn't make it even like halfway through um, this particular that the particular issue. I was like, holy shit, I have to say I'm loving the art on all of these and I'm enjoying the story on at least, I don't know, like two, maybe as high as two thirds. So I instantly. It, it's, it's ABC Warriors you don't like, isn't it? No, ABC Warriors I love. Oh, really? I, oh, that's, yeah. that's the one I'm really having trouble with right now. It's great. I I dig it because it's because it's Pat. Well, it's Pat Mills, but I'm sort of like I've had various people be like, yeah, you should definitely pick up ABC Warriors, you know, and I'm like, yeah, sure. I knew enough of the gist of it. And I'm I'm sort of how is it because I've been reading like some older Pat Mills stuff. It's kind of great to see him not have changed <laughs> yeah no and i mean that in the best way because no, i don't there, no, there, there really is some sense of like well at least he's consistent yeah 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 yeah. see you're going to be you know but i no, i don't even mean that in a bad way well good job sir because that sure <laughs> sounded like some mighty fine shit talking to me <laughs> um, no, like don't get me wrong i've never really been a fan of fat meals mm -hmm. but the, it's not what I, I guess what i mean is it's not one of those cases where you read it and you're like Oh, he used to have it, but now, yeah, he's he's lost it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's very clearly a Pat Mills story. Don't get me wrong. Like he's in very happily treading the same waters. Well, but, but yeah. it, it's as good. Mm -hmm. I I think okay. So here's the thing. I I am not such a. I love the art. I I mean the the art throughout the issue is gorgeous. But you know, I kind of think. Let's see if I can. What 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 issue are we talking here? About? Yeah, let's let's jump back. I, I, I'm going to talk I, about the mo most recent issue because they haven't started any new serials since I've started reading, and so it's been all the same people. But like, for example, um, both Low Life and the Simping Detective, um, I've I would say I would run more cold than hot on to an extent. Honestly, Lester. Yeah, I'm I'm just like how like if you're are you reading them? Because well, they're the same story as the Dread. That's part of what I'm loving right now. No, no, no. But they're but they're different angles. They're handled differently. I mean, yeah, which is, which is part of what I I'm completely addicted by. Yes, but okay. So here's the thing that I thought was great. I picked so I you know picked up the very first issue, which is that official first issue of Cold Deck, and of course Cold Deck was great. 
And I kind of had this weird sense, you know, you had told me that the 2080 stuff, a lot of it was set in the same universe, but there were internal references in that issue before 170, whatever it is, 1707, that's the, the crossover, it, it, 1807. 1807 is the, is the big crossover. Yeah, And then, because I, I read ahead, 1809 mm -hmm. is the, oh shit, I see how it all fits together. This is fucking massive issue. Oh, you son of a bitch. Well, all right. So 1808, which people like me who just are regular slobs. You're uh, like regular people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so I guess first issue is 1806 that I picked up. You know, Dread was great. ABC. Uh, well, I'll get to that. Brass Sun, of course, had had just gorgeous work by uh i i think it's inj colbert who's doing work for new dead guardians yes so, and i i the art in that is just gorgeous mm -hmm. i mean it's really really beautiful work yeah exactly yeah just stunning like stunning in a i don't follow 2000 ad enough at, at all but i was kind of like wow this is like um this is like heavy. It reminded me more of heavy metal than what I would have expected to come across. No, definitely. I think it's very. Uh, it's not that it's un 2080, but it's so not the idea of 2080 that most mm -hmm. people have. Mm -hmm. And in writing as well as art, I should say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That I, I think that it really does come across as a surprise. But mm -hmm. art wise, do you not think it's very close to Disraeli stuff in low life? Uh, in. It a little bit, but the different, but there's such differences, I guess. I don't know why, you know, for me, uh, I could totally be wrong, but Colbert stuff from this and the new dead guardians seems like it's almost close to some sort of like linear Claire hybrid. You know, there's a lot of the same, uh, weight given to the lines and you really kind of need the color to keep it from seeming super flat. Whereas Disraeli's work, um, I, I'm I'm loving how beautiful it it looks in uh, the Simping Detective. Is it the same? Yeah, it's the Simping you know, he, Detective. Yeah, he's doing low life Simping Detective Simon Colby. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. Okay, thank you. Um, unfortunately, I was like, I'm going to look at the contents, and of course, the contents just show me the teams that created it, not necessarily yeah. <laughs> the teams working on it. Which I'm like, on the one hand, God bless you, that's great and progressive. On the other hand, who the fuck is drawing what now? Because <laughs> <laughs> it just it just pissed me off. Um, but yeah, no, Disraeli's work is is just gorgeously cartoony. But because I guess between in be, you know using the grayscale coloring and black and white, it just it's um, it's a there's like a lot more line weight modulation. So I mean, it's a similar style in in the sense of cartoony. But oh my god, it's gorgeous to look at. And I have to say that. Um, I've actually laughed at low life a number of times, you know, um, th through the last couple of installments that I've read. So yeah, I, I really like low life. I am um, at the suggestion of Douglas Wolk read mm -hmm. the first series of low life, mm -hmm. which is completely different story. <laughs> like oh, really? Dirt dirty Frank's in it, but he's a supporting character mm -hmm. and it's this really grim noir story. Mm. About another undercover judge. Oh, interesting. And you're really like, wow, I, you know, I can kind of see how they got here from, from there, mm -hmm. but you can't imagine, because it's the same writer, Rob Williams did, did it all. Really interesting. Okay, yeah. I would have thought they would have changed it up. Yeah, It really is one of those, you know, huh, you know, if you read the first is the first series and you're like, this, this is, you know, I, this is great, but this is a very particular thing. It's honestly like someone took Daredevil 
mm-hmm. and went from you know Frank Miller, mm-hmm. and then we're like, you know, I prefer Foggy, <laughs> and it turned into like Wacky Foggy Adventures. Yeah, yeah, Wacky Foggy Nelson Adventures. Yeah, um, and then excuse me, uh, and then the simping detective, I think generally uh, would be a dog if it wasn't at least in this particular case the simon colby art is just phenomenal um it's yeah it's it's amazing uh mm-hmm. he's he's really really good what's funny for me is i remember him when he first came out to 2080 mm-hmm. you should google some of his work from back then you would not believe it's the same guy really you would not believe it's the same guy mm-hmm. he he is he has changed his style so much mm-hmm. and, and not just in the line work which is significantly different but mm-hmm. in the frames things as well and the way he paces things i totally believe it's, it yeah. it's it's amazing yeah mm-hmm. simping detective looks really good yeah it's simping detective looks fantastic so i'm definitely down with it despite the fact that i think that that simon spurrier is definitely turning that is kind of the weak link in the chain oh but... uh, yeah that you might change your mind's next issue oh interesting okay well we'll see i mean one of the things that's kind of great about the book is i sort of feel like uh yeah they kind of seem to have it where everyone's kind of getting a chance to step up the bat and and do some great stuff so i i won't rule anyone out but all of which is to say I enjoyed that Pat Mills's stuff i mean it the the abc warriors the art is just gorgeous you know, it it's like looking at a collection of, um, you know, 1980s death metal album covers yeah. or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then and then the thing that's kind of great about it is that, like, Mills really is uh, an, an anarchist, I guess, in sort of the best way like the stuff that his stuff which actually disturbed my sort of internal puritan you know sense of right and wrongness back when the 2000 ad reprints were first hitting um the american shores back in the 80s and stuff Mm -hmm. now sort of strikes me as exactly right you know so the in in the issue that i've read which is the issue before you where, um, you know, awesome metal robot guy is confronting the president of the United States. And it is not at all a thinly veiled commentary on the current U.S. policy of, you know, unmanned drone attacks, you know, just flat out. Um, And at what, like, who's responsible and at what level for that, you know? I kind of I like the fact that it's it made me a little uneasy, you know, and it and it kind of has that way of the thing that I really feel that I like about comics, you know, and that that I think when comics are at their best is the, you know, hey, it's you know, it's not it's not Dr. Doom crying in front of 9-11. It's very much a, you know, hey, here's a problem that we're having with Est let's punch somebody in the nose about it, you know? So. You mean you, you like that the president is assassinated by a giant killer robot? That's awesome, Graham. Yeah, everything <laughs> about that. Well, how can you I, not say that sentence aloud and go, holy I, shit, I that say, is great. We've not said Clint Langley is the guy who's doing art mm-hmm. on ABC Warriors, and I think it's actually missing a credit in 1808. Mm. I don't think it's only his individual credits, but yeah, Clint Langley is doing an amazing job that really 
especially not so much his humans, but his robots really seem oh, a yeah. great mix of the various people who've done ABC Warriors in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can see a Kevin O'Neill in there. You can, you can see, see Bisley. Yes, I was going to books. say. Yeah, exactly. And how amazing is it to see the, those two influences in the same work and kind of make sense? Yeah. It, yeah. It, he's, he's, he's doing a great thing. What I also love about that, and uh, something detective to a lesser extent, mm-hmm. is that they're essentially black and white strips that use color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and ABC Wars, the show of ABC Wars didn't start like that. It started out as full color. Mm. But now, because we're having a flashback, mm-hmm. it's essentially black and white with very limited color, which oh. is gorgeous. yeah. I don't, I didn't know why they were doing it, but I adored it. I really do, and because they're also doing that to a certain extent with the simping detective too. Yeah, and I don't know. And if that's so you get the color when he's, you know, he's what tripping or and, and that's not true. You see it with blood and with other things mm-hmm. in detective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, his yeah. clown nose and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, there, there's, there's really a smart use of color in mm-hmm. these shows. And it's what I also like about the art in Low Life that I think that uh, just really is use of grayscale. Yeah. It's remarkably intelligent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really adds a, a three dimensionality. Oh, extraordinarily so. Extraordinarily so. Yeah. Um, which I, I just adore. I mean, it's just, it's spectacular looking art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it also just really, really can play up the comedy of a sequence. Mm hmm. It's really mm-hmm. nice, like when you have Dirty Frank running away. He's running away in such an exaggerated, cartoonish manner. Oh yeah, you can almost hear like the Looney Tunes music in the background. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, I love the. I just the difference between the Cleggs as they're portrayed in on the Judge Dredd cover and in the Judge Dredd story, and the sort of comical storybook crocodile character that you have, you know, on, on in in this chapter of Low Life is wonderful. Um, but also, like you said, the grayscale is great. Like on that first page of the, this issue, there's a sequence where, um, you know, essentially, uh, I think Dirty Frank gets like barfed out of the Clegg across a hallway. And there's all this beautiful, beautiful detail in the hallway, you know, because it's a modern spaceshipy type thing. And so it looks like, you know, almost like a Darrow-esque hallway. But by using the gray tones, you actually get the depth of the distance from between the characters. So it's just, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's and also, great stuff. It, I, you're talking about sort of the middle panel on that page. Yes, exactly. What, love is, what is immediately beside the viewer mm-hmm. is essentially all black with gray. There's no white in there at all, mm-hmm. which really gives you a depth of field for the spacesuits behind that. Mm, yeah, exactly. You know, it's mm-hmm. a really, again, it's just really smart. It's, yeah. a, it's really, really well done. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think to the nitty is on fire right now. I really mm-hmm. do. I, I think that the cold deck sequence, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's all going to fold back into Dread or if it's going to continue in other strips, mm-hmm. is, is really great. And it only was... 1809, which is the one that comes out next week, mm-hmm. that really gave me the, oh shit, that's the scale of it mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in part because, so I get the, the review copies and so does Douglas Walk. Mm-hmm. Douglas Walk was a massive Dread fan. Um, and it's actually gotten to the point where he and I will e- email each other mm-hmm. on the day where the, the promo copies go out. <laughs> I go, did you see this? Did you see this? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, but he sent me to Disraeli's blog. Mm. Because he's like, there's great process stuff out there. You can see how he does stuff. Mm-hmm. And just really says something on his blog that put, that made a connection 
was something I'd read in 1809, mm-hmm. which a connection with something that I think uh, said happens in Dread in 1807, maybe. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, oh, balls. Yeah. <laughs> That's really fucking big and also really well done. Like the, the way they all connect mm-hmm. is really well. That's it. That's one of the things that I kind of liked about the conceit when I saw the preview page that they put up for the the first page of Cold Deck, mm-hmm. um, where you know the dying guy is explaining to Dread what the term is. Uh, I was like, oh, that's such a great metaphor for not just a type of conspiracy story that you're going to be telling, but also a way of talking about kind of art all, all together. And one of the things I like is after the, the first crossover uh, issue, um, uh, I was like, wow, they, they really, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of their announcement of like, yeah, this is all planned and we've got some big plans. You know? Yeah, but also, don't you love that the opening is pretty much like, Cold X sleight of hand. So we do all this shit and you don't realize we've done it. Mm-hmm. And then this year they're like, oh, look, it's exactly what we told you we were going to do. But you didn't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is love. Mm-hmm. It's what I was saying to you an email before and I completely ruined the prisoner for you because I didn't realize you hadn't seen it. <laughs> That's okay. Even though I had not, I haven't. The yeah, prison, I know the end of the prisoner. You know what I mean? Uh, because what I was saying in email to Jeff is every episode of the prisoner gives away the end of the prisoner mm-hmm. every single episode has the same exchange which is who is number one you are number six but they say it as you are number six as in that is your name mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. every single episode tells you you are number one mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is so great when you realize yeah when you get to that episode and you see that he is number one mm-hmm. you, you have this moment of they've been telling me all along and i didn't realize it yeah, yeah. every single episode someone has has given him the answer mm-hmm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. That, I love that. I, yeah. I love it. I love it when you realize that you've actually been outsmarted by the people telling you the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a great feeling. It's it's one of those like awesome moments you live for kind of thing. So uh, at least art wise. So yeah, I have to say, 2000 AD. Super glad that I got it. People who are interested, if you have iPads, there has never been an easier way to get access. Uh, at least for those of us in the states. Um, then I think you're probably going to get now. And, and certainly, Lord knows, um, you know, I would put a, attach a ton of caveats to that. You know, uh, if the whole distribution system was working with Diamond adequately and appropriately, but based on Hibbs's various complaints about how it's worked in, in well, for when, comics experience. Yeah, when you just see the distribution list every week, mm-hmm. And you're like, there's no 2080s on it for four weeks. And then they're like, here's three at once. Oh, by the way, it's not a sequential three from the last time we had it. We may have dropped a couple of issues. And you're like, what? Yeah, exactly. I think if you are in America and you want to follow 2080, the best way to do it is digitally. Yeah. And it's it it really is. I mean, I'm super happy with it. My favorite is digitally your day and date with the UK. Mm -hmm. As opposed to not only are you at the mercy of Diamond over in America. Yeah. But... You're significantly behind. Mm-hmm. Exactly, you're a month behind. Yeah, yeah. Their their whole attempts to to make that work did not work at all. Um, and digitally, it is you can keep up. I'm happy with it. It's not nearly the stunning bargain uh, that that Shonen Jump Alpha is. Just in a dollar for dollar, 
number of pages basis, but um, but the quality has been great. I've been thrilled that I'm I'm getting it, and it's a it's a fantastic change of pace. And and right now, I think it's really the right time to do it. I think I, I think so too. Yeah, exactly. So bold, and the quality is so high mm-hmm. that yeah. I think that if you can't be won over by 2080 with this, yeah. You might just have to admit you're not going to be one over by 2080. Right. So, admittedly, on the one hand, it's a little bit of cash to 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 sink into it to kind of see those results. But you know, I think if you can you not buy individual issues, you can. But it's like at 2.99 an issue, and I'm just not sure, like digitally, that's a. I'm not sure you're quite getting that bang for the buck there for that. You know, 2.99 uh, still less than signing up for the three months is what I was going to say. Like oh, I think. If you're really unsure, yeah, I would probably buy what? What would you say, eighteen oh six? To get the first episode of, of. Yeah, let me let me reopen that. Whatever the yeah, whatever that first issue is. It's the first issue of Cold Deck, and like the second part of maybe second part of Simping. No, the second part of Low Life, and the third part of Simping. Yeah, exactly. And you're sort of midway through the other stories, uh, and just see what you think. Yeah, um, jump in at 1806. Yeah, give yourself, you know, that. Maybe try 1806 and 1807. And if the sort of the one-two punch of that doesn't work for you, then walk away clean. But if you do like it, um, you know, at least at least give yourself a three-monther and, and give it a shot. Because that's what I'm doing, and I'm very pleased with it. Job done, everyone. I, yeah, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of mm. 2000. I think that it really has a really nice intensity. And here's the funny thing: we've talked about how great Cold Deck is and how great all the other stories are. Mm-hmm. I think Ewing is really good doing Dread right now. Mm-hmm. I think Dread, just even if you take out the formalist elements of mm-hmm. the crossover, it's really smart. I just think he's he's giving you bang for the buck every single episode of. Right, Dread. right, exactly. And that was kind of what I wanted. I, I mean, that was wanted. That was all I expected. So this is actually proven to be really delightful so far is like wow this is an anthology book where everything looks really pretty and i'm at least you know quasi invested in two of the other stories um this is great you know so yeah yeah it's it's good times but al ewing is definitely i was very pleased to see uh when hibbs was reviewing the the vertigo horror anthology and he was like yeah it's looking like al ewing is the real deal and i think that's i think that's oh, pretty yeah, awesome have you have you read jennifer blood this week uh, not this week. I didn't make it to the store this week, unfortunately. So that's uh, yeah. He's just he is. He's the real deal. He he's he's the one. He's the one to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking this earlier. I was actually thinking earlier on because I was reading Action Cats, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the Monkey Brain title. I was like, apparently it's writers whose first names begin with A. Because <laughs> um, have you read Action Cats? I haven't. Action Cats is it's Adam Nave and hang on I'm gonna to have to actually bring it up. Is it actually out or is this just preview bullshit that you're? No, it's, it's out. It came out on Wednesday. Oh great. Um, I wasn't tracking. I will. Did I not see? It is Adam Nave and Lauren Vogelbaum and a- Eamon Doherty, mm. and I I don't know if it's just me. It was it made me laugh like a motherfucker i really thought it was so it's one of those things that's so incredibly amazingly dumb mm-hmm. that it is the greatest thing wow like it starts off with a meteorite coming down to destroy the city and the cat just comes up and swats it away 
And then there's an octopus monster, and the cat kicks it, and it goes away, and it goes, never mind. <laughs> That's really great. I will. I am picking it up now. I'm picking it's, it up yeah, through the miracle it's of just, digital. It's just really, and so yeah. So you get the, the scenes of the ridiculous cats going like saving the day just by kicking things or doing traditional cat things and then it cuts them in their secret identity where they break a Roomba by sitting on it <laughs> it's just it's just great it's just it's one of those like I've had cats I totally recognize the cat behaviors in this I think this is spectacular yeah action cats I thought was great but getting back to Jennifer Blood yeah Al Ewing is, is killing me in that book mm-hmm Mm-hmm. As it keeps telling you, it's it's a book that I'm convinced I shouldn't like, mm-hmm. but just what he's doing is amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. It is um, every issue he goes for broke and just stuns me. So I'm I'm believe me between that and Bakuman, I was like, oh god, I want to get into the store, but I just couldn't make it work uh, yesterday or before we t- or today before we talked for that matter. So you have action comics either. Uh, that's right. Action Comics, or as I call it, Grant Morrison decides that he really likes Doctor Who. <laughs> issue, but all the way through, I was like, he's writing a Doctor Who story with Superman in it. Mm. There is so much that is similar to a Doctor Who episode in mm. terms of in terms of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the bad guys who can't talk. Uh, apart from saying one phrase repeatedly over and over again, which they say in the middle of the fight, mm-hmm. you have the scary angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have humanity trying to make some technological advancement on an alien planet, and he is saving them when they're trapped somewhere. And they say things like, "This is impossible." Well, I can do the impossible. It's just I don't know. It reads like a Doctor Who episode. Uh, and in to its to its credit. Mm-hmm. It, I really enjoyed it because of that but it really is like oh so this is what happens when Grant Morrison watches Russell Davis Doctor Who for a long time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah I like and also Neil deGrasse Tyson is in the backup oh hey that's awesome yeah no I uh, I, I there was a, there was a, it looked like there were a lot of good we- so you did did you pick these up digitally or did you actually make it to the store the store nice <laughs> I thought this was going to be the week where we both made it to the store and we both talk about comics, and you didn't fucking go, Jeff. I know, I know, and I was, I was kind of, I was a little broken up about that. Uh, believe me, everyone, uh, I was. But um, I, yeah, uh, let's just say uh, between the election and a couple of other things, uh, yesterday afternoon, it was like, okay, well, I could go to the comic book store, or I could collapse in a heap and. Okay. Did the election break you? I I could barely do anything yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah? So it got you too, huh? Yeah, and yeah. I told you what it was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, as I think I, I told you, but I thought this was off air, part of that was a chocolate cake was involved but uh, uh, and some sleeplessness. But, but I do think there was something to, yeah, the election. And, yeah, I was just... I was fried. I'm kind of fried today. Uh, there's I had a whole list of things that I was supposed to do. And I really didn't do much more than get myself ready to be able to talk to you. So the important thing. Yeah, I did the important stuff, Graham. Um, But uh, yeah, I think, okay, so, well, when we come back, uh, we can talk about the stuff that you've picked up and the stuff that I've read um, and and sort of sort of 
you know, do do slightly more capsule reviews considering the middle of this we we talked the hell out of uh, 2000 AD. Okay then, that'll be when we return. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's just. <laughs> And we're back. Lovely. Of course, I <coughs> didn't have to cough until things started dialing, and I'm like, that's, great. That's the way these things work. Yeah, it really is. Uh, yeah, and so far, everything sounded pretty nice and buttery smooth, so um, hopefully this will bode well come, uh, come recording time, but sounds good on my end. So, yes, let us talk other comics. You pretty much were moving through the A's. Um, <laughs> I let's immediately jump out of the A's because I, I that's my only A comic. Are we going to do this alphabetically? Let's. We never do that. We don't. Okay. Uh second comic is Colder, the new uh Dark Horse Horror comic. Oh. By Paul Tobin and Juan Ferreira Ferreira. Sorry. Ah, that's um, actually out. Yes. And has the terrifying, terrifying cover. The best part was I I took it to the counter. Mm-hmm. And the person behind the counter is like, that's a great book, but I can't look at the cover. And sure enough, she then turned it over. <laughs> um, so, first of all, I think we'll have to put the cover on Savage Critic when we put this thing up in case people haven't seen the cover. Okay. Because um, it is kind of a really weirdly disturbing cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a disturbing comic. Well, that's it, good. It, in the best way, because it's a horror comic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of these frustrating comics that you get to the last page and you get to Cliffhanger, and you're like, no, motherfucker! <laughs> I want to, like, now that you've done that, I want to see what happens next. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Um, and that's kind of a problem for me, to be honest. Like, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's a good comic. Mm-hmm. But it really did stop where I wanted it to start, I guess. Ah. Uh, um, which is, is good. I'll pick up the next issue. I am. I want to read more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I do also feel... Uh, uh, I'm just a little bit frustrated that I didn't get more, I guess. Okay, so to be clear, it's not quite that awesome as, as much as it would be nice to say that it is. It's not entirely the awesome frustration of, like, I'm hooked on this story and I want more, and it ended too soon... It has a little bit to do with, it sounds like, it also started a bit too soon, so... No, I don't think it starts too soon. I think what it is is this bit in the middle, which I'm convinced will be very important later on, mm-hmm. right now feels like it's a bit overlong. Mm. Does that make sense? The mm-hmm. pacing just is a little bit off. Um, And yet, I yet I enjoyed it all. Mm. Um, I, I think... It's one of those things. I think in the collection... Mm-hmm. everything will feel completely perfectly based. Mm. But because I'm reading it as a single issue, I got frustrated that when the end came, I my first reaction was, oh, you could have spent a little less time doing that thing before. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, nonetheless, I liked it. I think the art is just lovely. Mm. I have, uh, Juan Ferreira did the Falling Skies stuff for Dark Horse. Mm-hmm. Tie into the TNT show, mm-hmm. um, but there's just something about his art that I really like. 
I I I I like I you know what it is? I really like his use of color. Mm-hmm. I think I think he just really really nice colors. Huh. And so, I, I I'm somehow guessing it's probably all digital, but it doesn't look digital, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is what I find really nice about it. That's great. So is he so he is doing the art and color for it? Yes, he's doing art and color. Huh. He's doing the whole shebang. Well, that sounds darn nice, I have to say. I think it's good. I would recommend it, but mm-hmm. I sort of recommend it with the proviso of I got really frustrated. I, but then again, that might just be me. I have a tendency to be like, well, that did that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. What the right. fuck? Right. Um, so yeah, it's not a this is the greatest thing I ever read as much as this is really good, but I wish it just continued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I think it's always valuable to have little provisos like that. I think that's, uh, sure. you know, it's a nice problem to have. Do yeah. you know I wish there was more of this. <laughs> um, let's see. Earth two issue six was the next thing I got. If we're going alphabetically, mm-hmm. which is the end of the first arc. And I'm slipping. Mm-hmm. I was a big fan mm-hmm. and first arc, and I'm like, well, that was all done very well. However, mm-hmm. I, it's more a, uh, it was all done fine. It hit all the emotional beats I expected it to hit. Right. But the only real surprise came at the end when they didn't form a team. Mm. You know, mm. Everything else was exactly as I expected it to be. Hmm. And so I, I feel kind of let down by that. Mm-hmm. In a way. I think I expected to be surprised in some way hmm. that it didn't that when it didn't come, I felt let down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting that he decided that would seem to be such a traditional first beat to hit, especially, especially for something that's going to be the first arc. That I'm curious if he if he's really if that means that I don't know. That he's planning on having the book, maybe just you know, the book is not going to be as much about the team as as we might think, and really will be more about Earth Two. You know, well, I think that I think it's a hint that there's not going to be a Justice Society. Mm. Mm-hmm. The reason it's called Earth Two is because it's actually just going to be about all these characters on Earth Two. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, there's something. That was the that was the nicest part of it, and the rest of it was just like, okay, so he's doing everything I expected him to do, mm-hmm. which really did feel like a kind of light time, mm. uh, which is a shame because I've really enjoyed the book up until now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I'll be back for the next one, but with a little less of a song in my heart. Oh. Well, that's a shame. That's a shame. Hopefully, he will turn it around. Robinson certainly seems to be one of those guys who. Um, can run out not not hot and cold but certainly hot and lukewarm you know so um, yeah let's put it this way he's gone lukewarm in this issue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, it, i don't know if it's that he realized that he had set up all these beats that he had to hit and mm-hmm. so he's in it maybe his heart is more in the setup and and having the time and space to go off on tangents right so when it comes down to the final, because that, that's actually fairly true of his Justice League run as well. Mm-hmm. When he get when he gets to the point where he has to wrap things up, it's all just kind of like, and that happened, that happened, that happened, done. Right. And without, because Earth 2 right now is lacking a very James Robinson um, character, not even a snarky character, but a character who will make light and go on tangents for him. Mm-hmm. 
because Earth 2 is lacking that, mm-hmm. that it just feels very rote in a way that, you know, Kongorella could have changed in Justice League. Right. Because Kongorella would say something or would draw attention to something, hmm. distract you from it. There's no one for, like that in Earth 2. So you're just kind of like, oh, okay, so it did exactly what it said in the tin. Mm-hmm. Right. And and not, yeah. And in a, in a way that doesn't really give you a lot of confidence for it, sort of. Yeah. I, I think I want. I, I think I would rather, in a really strange way, want to see like a Chris Claremont esque continual tapestry being so in, that doesn't always come together. Right. Like I, I would rather that he didn't feel the need to go. And this is the end of the first arc. Right. Uh, but that's the way comics are these days. Comics really are that way these days, uh, for better or for worse. Um, and, and I know what you mean. There, there are times where I miss the, miss the ungainly sprawl. I miss that a lot. So yeah, it's a shame. Uh, Iron Man issue one. Mm -hmm. It's on my list. Uh, let's just say that if you've ever wanted to feel entirely conflicted about a comic, you put Gillen on it and then you put Greg Land on it. Mm -hmm. You really are. you, You do come up with. Huh, I don't know how I feel about that. Right. One person's working really hard. The other person really doesn't seem to be working at all. Hmm. Eggland is working. Oh, is he? Working his little heart out. It, the problem with that is then when he does the Greg Land things that you expect him to do, mm-hmm. there's so much more mm-hmm. in this where it cuts to... And I know that the script would say street in Buenos Aires woman is on phone mm-hmm. and what Greg Land presents is literally I'm convinced he's like just traced a phone of someone from like a phone catalogue this woman is on the phone staring at the reader <laughs> <laughs> oh dear like it, it really is a moment of really you couldn't come up with any other way of doing that mm-hmm mm-hmm uh, yeah, so so that you know things like that happen, or you. I think you've probably seen the the preview pages that's got the amazingly Asian looking Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah, his Tony Stark is really fucking weird. <laughs> Although I have to say that page, I read that that one preview page, and I kind of thought the 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 tone of the writing was also a little off. So, um, I'll be uh, curious I, to check it out. Let's put it that way. That page definitely works better in context of the book. Mm-hmm. The book also works better in the context of um, Fractions a- Run or AVX Consequences. Hmm. Weirdly. Hmm. Um, which kind of sets up the idea that during AVX, and I guess this was kind of an AVX, but not really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of sets up the idea that during AVX, Tony Stark has come to realize that maybe technology is not all there is. Mm. And so he's kind of having a, a midlife crisis of sorts. Hmm. Um, and so that's why you get the thing about the fundamentals and why he's he's questioning the fundamentals for the first time on that page. Mm. Also, the other thing that works better about the book, about that page in the book, is that immediately after you get the woman saying, gee, I don't know, it's so hard to concentrate. Maybe one of those energy drink cocktails would help. They're so tasty and they twinkle. Mm-hmm. On the very next page, you have the same character saying, "I'm not a bimbo. I'm acting about half my IQ at best." Yeah, see, because I think it ends at that one thing, and I was just like, "What? What?" 
what? Like, I, I just, I don't know. Then cuts to she goes up to the bar and Pepper Potts is there and Pepper Potts is basically like, back off, bitch. And you get this character being like, I am acting like a bimbo because mm-hmm. I decision that I want to have a one night stand with this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit on the nose. Mm-hmm. Get the, and this is where I get over my take on Tony Stark and my take on how people, you know, right. are reading Tony Stark. Uh, especially in the position that falls with Tony and Pepper. Mm-hmm. But it, like that, because yeah, that page reads really, really oddly. Mm-hmm. Then the next couple of pages, you're like, oh, I kind of get it. Okay. Uh, there are problems with the writing. Mm-hmm. It's, for me, the main problem is I feel like in a lot of ways, it's a rerun of Fraction's first issue. Mm. I feel like Fraction's first issue was I have nightmares about my technology being perverted mm-hmm. and loose in the world. And I feel like this first issue is I have nightmares about technology being perverted and let loose in the world. Oh, someone's doing that with extremists. Right. Um, and so yeah it, it's very much because that Fraction's first issue was five years ago yeah like, I think that sounds about right so I, I don't know it just it feels a bit early to go back to that I guess mm-hmm. well yeah especially since I, not that I followed it but Fraction made lots of noises like everything from his first issue of Iron Man plays into the stuff in the last issue so yeah it, it could seem a little little too soon in a way yeah, it just, it's, I don't know. It's, I really am conflicted about it. I, he gets a lot done. Gillen gets a lot done in this first issue. Mm-hmm. Very packed, 20 pages. Uh, and there are bits that I really like, but there's also stuff that just seems a bit obvious, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really is one of those things that I think that if I liked the art, I would have let it slide a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but look at what he's getting done. <laughs> right, right. Doesn't matter that dialogue's better than those because man, look at the speed of this thing. Well, then- yeah, there there is that concept, if nothing else, of if you're going to write stuff that's a little too on the nose, your problem when you're working with Greg Land is that person's going. He's he's his stuff is way too on the nose too. You know. So you you for me at least, Greg Land slows down my reading so much. Mm-hmm. Like I find. Are hard to read. Mm. Um, I just it's it has no flow to it. Oh, interesting. Uh, interesting. For me, it's such a glossy read. Like I can, I just feel like when I read a land book, and it doesn't happen that often at all anymore. But I just remember reading them, and because everything felt like surface elements, I read it even more quickly. Like it doesn't necessarily matter if the flow's good, but. Because it's also photo representational, I'm not going to take the time to like linger on the backgrounds or the line weight or the anything. You know what I mean? Like the the amount of time that you and I have spent just spent talking about you know Disraeli's art on 2000 AD, it, it would seem ludicrous to me the idea of actually taking the time to sit down and and do that with Greg Land's work. You know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just uh, Greg Land. Greg Land is what killed the book for me. But I think if I'd liked the writing more, mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened. Does that make sense? No, I think so. I think so. I think it's. I think it's a push and pull. Because, like I said, I I haven't read the issue yet, but but the preview page really made me go. That is odd. You know, it just didn't. It 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 didn't 
didn't quite work. I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this, but like journey into mystery, I think was a perfect place for me to meet sort of meet Gillen in the middle because, uh, my experience on some of his other books is kind of, is, is just, I, is his voice never really quite jibes with me. Like his people talk in a way that never sounds familiar to me, you know. Um, oh, I I find his dialogue really good. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. It it could it might be just a problem with with me and uh, and his and and him. Like literally, however I've got myself positioned when I read his stuff, it just it just seems awkward. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I will come back for for future. But I'm sorry, coming back future more because I've really liked Kieran Gillen elsewhere, mm-hmm. and I I want it to be better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, talking about really liking Kieran Gillen elsewhere, and I think something I forgot about because I bought it digitally is um, AVX Consequences, mm-hmm. which remember I re- I got the first issue and I was like, oh, this is this is not good. Mm-hmm. I ended up really enjoying. Hmm. I actually went back and got the other issues because I saw reviews of it where people were like, this is exactly what I wanted AVX to be because it's just like five more issues of Uncanny X-Men. Hmm. Uh, and I I, I kind of feel the same. I, I think it it ends in a really interesting place that I didn't expect it to end, mm-hmm. which is Cyclops and the Uncanny team with the exception of Psylocke and Storm who are in other teams now. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially decide that they're going to continue doing what they do and defend the mutant race no matter what, even if it means they're criminals. Hmm. Like, they break Cyclops out of jail and he's pretty much like, okay, so we keep doing what we're doing. It doesn't matter that people want to catch us. People hmm. have all wanted to catch us. We are mutants. We we should be used to that. Right. Which is, I, I, I don't know, I guess I sort of expected more of a, ha ha ha, I am evil now, you're right. No, no. Well, I think, I think Gillen's going to that's just it. Get not in charge anymore. All the characters go to Bendis. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But I can see where Gillen's going to do a thing of like, yeah, no, I, you know, the, I, the it, it would seem to be the exactly the sort of thing that would excite him of like, hey, what if you really do continue the parallel of making Cyclops be Magneto and he's got his evil mutants, but they're not evil mutants and he's not Magneto, you know? Yeah. I mean, the setup is very much, it's Magneto and his evil mutants, except this guy actually is right. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well, I would say that is the theme of consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just believes he's right. But that he actually might have been right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was really nice. It, it, considering, for me, Avengers vs. X-Men itself, really translated into, and then they became evil. Mm-hmm. Phoenix, and then they started torture camps. Mm-hmm. You know, and all the ambiguity out of it. Mm-hmm. It's nice of Cyclops afterwards, basically making his case, and his case being pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I I was really surprised at how much I did and ended up enjoying that. So I was, you know, I'll stick with Iron Man for until the end of the first arc. But I so wish that Lance wasn't on the book. Mm-hmm. The one thing Lance was right, though, mm-hmm. for the first time, maybe ever, I believe that Iron Man is wearing gloves. Hmm. That's lots of photorealism for you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, 
fingers. They don't just look like metal fingers. Oh, that's great. Interesting. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's 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 it. I I Outland kills the book for me in a way that he didn't kill Gillen's Uncanny X Men. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it worked for me there, and it doesn't work for me here. Mm. Silence. Well, yeah, I'm sort of like, aha, says the man who I. It's I'm just sort of like. Having right. read neither, I'm sort of like Graham. You got to carry yourself home on that one, or you can move on to the next book, depending. Which is stumped out in the case of the baby in the velvet case. Oh yeah, that was the most recent issue came out this this week, right? Yes. Um, it it's very much a third issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's put it this way: as I recall, you liked the first issue. You thought that the second issue was better. I didn't like the first issue and thought the second issue was better. Is I think the third issue is the best yet. Okay, the writing is of a quality of the second issue. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, Matthew Southworth's art. Something has happened, mm-hmm. and it's so much better. Oh, good. Something has happened, and I think what has happened is he or his colorists have decided to add in ink wash tones. Mm. It is so much better. Hmm. It it is amazing. It, I have no idea what happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it, but it is marked. Oh yeah, it's noticeably better. Hmm. It's noticeably different from the earlier issues as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll really see when you when you pick it up and you see the acting in the faces. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's I, like I say, I don't know what happened. It's so much better. Well, that's a relief. That is a relief because even as I liked the the second issue more, there were parts in the art where I was like. Uh, I don't know if this is going to work. So the idea that it got better, again, especially in the faces and the facial acting, is kind of great. Yeah, because that was weirdly not right in the yeah. previous issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, the, the change is is stunning. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know if it's Southworth or, or the colorist or both, mm-hmm. but the addition of the, the, the grayscale, the gray tones, mm-hmm really changes it hmm. phenomenal what a relief um so yeah and it, it's one of those things that you're also like ah, i kind of wish they could go back and fix the first two issues for when they collect it because right. there's there's going to be a noticeable bump when you're reading it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well hopefully hopefully they will i don't know i can't necessarily imagine it that they would be like hey but you know that sometimes happens you sometimes get an, an artist or a writer or the you know the team or the publisher is like you know what, let's let's go back to if nothing else to make it look consistent so you know. uh last thing is willow the the buffy the vampire slayer spinoff hmm. um which i've been a big fan of the buffy books recently i think yes to you um and i'm a big fan of this i think it's it's very consistent with the rest of the line it weirdly enough um one of the things i was thinking about before i picked it up was for me jeff parker who writes this book mm-hmm. had such a strong jeff parker tone mm. that i was like i can't imagine jeff parker doing a joss whedon book because hmm. i think it would come out as a jeff parker book hmm. amazingly it comes out as a joss whedon book that jeff parker wrote for one of a better way of putting it right it's got the right tone of voice for the characters hmm. um but the other characters and the setup is sort of appropriately Jeff Parkery, mm. um, which was really nice. The art is by a guy called Brian Ching, who apparently does their Star Wars books normally. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. 
I'm now like, huh, well, I hope Brian Ching gets thrown onto the main Buffy book when he's finished with this. Mm-hmm. Because, to my mind, far superior to George Shanti. Mm. Well, that would be great. It's Part of it is he's not going for uh, likenesses. Mm-hmm. Much more cartoony. You know what it actually weirdly looks like? Um, did you read The Secret History of D.B. Cooper? I read the first issue of that. It's kind of like that. Huh. The art is like that. Hmm. Um, and it, but it really works. Hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice. One of the things that I like about the Buffy books right now is each of them has a very specific tone. Mm-hmm. The Willow book, in theory, spins out of both Buffy and Angel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't read like either. Uh. And like the Spike book that's spun out of the Buffy book. Mm-hmm. Completely different. Hmm. It's batshit. Here we are in space with giant monsters. Hmm. So I don't know. I I just I like what they've done with the Buffy franchise. Mm-hmm. So good job, Dark Horse, for that one. Thumbs. Oh. Uh, yeah, Willow is 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 one of those things where you're like, if you like the other Buffy books, you'll like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd like it if you're not following the other Buffy books because you'd be like, why is Willow doing this? What what is going on? <laughs> it's it's a tough one to recommend or not recommend. Right. It really is a well. Hopefully you know what all this is about, and if you do, you'll like it. Mm. So, I say thumbs up because I've been reading them all. Hmm. Well, that sounds that... interesting. I I've got to say it's it's it. I'm very torn because part of me is. I know I've been somewhat reluctant to move back into the Buffy stuff, and I I just don't know why. I you know I started out on season eight. Oh, season eight went down the fucking toilet. Right, and I know you keep saying that nine's better, but I'm just like I can't I can't bring myself to go there. I mean, part of it is I really don't like Gianti's work, and you're like, well, he's not doing the work on this Willow book, but it's tied into what's currently going on, and I'm just and I don't know a lot of hand wringing on my part. Um, you know, yes, really. Hmm. By the angel book. Hmm. Because for my money, that's the best of the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not Jaunty. It's, uh, God, is it Fiona? No, it's not Fiona Staples. It's Rebecca Isaacs. Hmm. It's really nice art. It's surprisingly strong writing from Christos Gage. Hmm. Well, yeah. I, I, I actually, despite not following Christos Gage and everything, because he was at Marvel for a chunk of time, I think I think that guy's actually really got chops. Like he, I don't know if he'll ever break out in a way, but I think he actually has the potential. So, yeah, I, if you like, if you already like his stuff, I'd really suggest picking up. Mm. It's probably a, a collection at this point of right. the first Angel arc hmm. because it spins out of the end of Buffy, but does not cross over with the Buffy book. Oh, oh, well, that's good. Read it entirely independent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be fair, the Willow book pretty much spins out of Angel more than Buffy as well. Mm-hmm. Buffy is fairly self-sufficient with the exception of Spike. Hmm. So I think you could probably read the Buffy books without having to read Buffy if you really wanted to. <laughs> well, hmm, I say again, do yeah. I want to do that? Hmm. The problem. Jaunty's art is not to my taste right uh but andrew Chamb- oh, what's his name andrew chambliss 
which mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much doing everything I wanted Whedon et al. to do in the, in season eight. <laughs> right. You know, he's writing a continuation of the TV show that isn't, hey, we're doing comics now, let's do superheroes. Right, right. Which he... a real problem with season eight. Yeah, yeah, it was a big, big problem. Right out, right out of the gate, the no pun intended. The problem with the the eighth season was that uh, was that that Whedon was like, yeah, this is great. It's you know, it's finally it's Buffy without a budget, and and honestly, the budget constraints for Buffy is what made what allowed the show to become, you know, what kind of what it had to be. And once you got into this thing of like, oh, yeah, we can, you know, now we can have like dragons and zombies and giant warriors fighting dwarf princesses and stuff is like, A, if you've got a guy like Gianti who looks like he's just constantly, constantly barely keeping his head above water, um, that's not going to be so impressive. But also you pile all that stuff in and, you know, the you you need you know the the buffy characters the stuff that you really like is the personal interaction and the space to have some of those personal interactions really play out so you know i was i i admit to being intrigued when Whedon said yeah season nine is going back to you know sort of a a more smaller human-sized conception of things uh i thought that was great but i was also kind of like yeah but We'll see. But in season eight, it was going to be good, and look how it turned out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There, there is a little bit of the the you know once bitten twice shy. Well, I told you that I essentially got season nine by accident, right? Yeah, you did, and I I can't remember the context of how now though. I had a standing order for season eight at the store. Ah, finished. I just didn't think that I would have to cancel it for season nine. Yeah. Way Excalibur set up is basically if you have a standing order for title, they will at least get you the first issue of a spin. Well, which which sort of makes sense as opposed to having, and you know, especially with Marvel rebooting something every eighteen months or so, you know. So you so you really end up with which is really good, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I had so what season nine came around and I was like, oh well, you know, it's in my box, which means they've ordered it for me. Right. I should just buy it. Right. right. And I was like, oh, it's it's. It's not bad. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's really that. I'm I'm really glad to hear it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. He says in his hand ringy way. And that's that's the last okay. of your books, eh? Yes, that's it. Mm. Also, I mean, otherwise, I've read the um, Iceman hardcover that Marvel put out. <laughs> wow. 84 miniseries, which has incredible nostalgic value for me because... Mm-hmm printed in the back of Secret Wars, the British version. Mm-hmm. Uh, it replaced Alpha Flight <laughs> to follow on from when we were talking about Alpha Flight last time. Yes. Um, and so it's one of those things that like, you read and you can remember it all almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you're like 10 years old. Right. Uh, but it's terrible. Yeah, I was about to say, like, once you mentioned it, I'm like, I have a memory of maybe the first issue of it which is him like kind of sliding and waving on an ice slide with like a bright yellow background and and i think the insides were very typical for marvel of the time in that they looked like they were drawn by frank springer but i honestly can't remember a goddamn thing about it who draws it first of all but he does have that springer-esque quality yeah wait who drew it alan coverberg 
Oh yeah, Kupperberg. Yeah. All right. Well then, yeah, not too far off. So. Yes, which means because it's James Matthias in like 1984 or whatever. Oh he, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. He gets crazily neurotic and then cosmic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it starts off with my parents don't accept me for being a superhero. They just want me to be an accountant. And then like they all cease to exist when he completely rips off Back to the Future. And <laughs> a villain called Oblivion, who is really looking out, out for his daughter, who is Iceman's girlfriend. But she turns into the bad guy because she just can't accept her family. And it, yeah, it just turns. Wow. Oh, that's so bad. Like, he is like James Matthews' therapy comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, dear Jesus. That does sound, that just sounds just terrible. Uh, but, but at the same time, I have such nostalgia for it that I'm like, yeah, this is the part where he isn't existing because his parents aren't, don't exist anymore. And so he meets like a dream version of the X-Men. <laughs> And I was like, this is great. And then his voice in my head is like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> this is terrible. And you were stunned that people might have paid $30 for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I too am terrified. I don't quite know how they managed to make that sort of thing work. So, um, you know, I should, uh, as I said, I said, I, I didn't actually get to the store. Um, but, you know, I think I got there the other week, so I should I should mention, if you don't mind, I mean, I, I wish I could chew the fat about Iceman, but it honestly <laughs> sounds like there's not much more to really say about it. Um, did you see or pick up Batman Little Gotham? No, I saw, but I didn't pick up. You know, I looked at it and I was like, I was like, oh, this is a digital comic for 99 cents. And also kind of like, I was like, Oh, this is going to be great. This is everything that I want from DC's digital stuff and also a side of the Batman line that I want. So I'm going to get this and it's going to be great. Um, and uh, I got it. <laughs> it looks fantastic. Uh, Dustin Ewan uh, writes it along with uh, Derek uh, Friedolfs. And uh, Ewan does the, uh, does the art. And... The it looks gorgeous. Oh my god! It looks like it. Uh, just the color on it and the storytelling is great, and the very sort of cartoony Bigfooty style for it is great. You know, and it even really doesn't seem. But it's also it's also doesn't work, which is so frustrating to me. You know, it's this weird hybrid of like. I'm going to tell a Batman and Robin story, but it's going to be super cute and whimsical uh, where Robin, you know, who's Damian Wayne, learns, you know, what the point of Halloween is, I guess. And it, it just doesn't work. I mean, it's really weird. Maybe someone else would feel super different of it, but it looks it looks gorgeous, but the there's just levels of the the interaction of it is you know you you god i wish i, I I'm, I'm like i shouldn't have brought this up because i don't really know what i'm talking about uh the first half of the comic is robin hearing about halloween um and basically not getting it like he sees a bunch of you know tiny versions of the joker and the penguin and catwoman and he jumps down and like kicks them all in the head and they run off and batman's like no they were dressed up for halloween which 
is this it just because it just is in this weird like okay this is supposed to be cutesy and work but somehow it there's some weird version of like between throwing damien in there and him actually kicking the kids in the head i'm like this doesn't this isn't right somehow like i'm just i don't know i had this really weird version of i guess because the characters are so modern in the execution you know in part by having robin be damien that i i found myself being because in the second half of the story all of batman's villains get together to have a delicious dinner in an italian restaurant and the waiting for the and then right right and it's just this weird like on one page like two faces saying like yeah you know uh, yeah, if every day was Halloween, we'd be able to eat out like normal folk and fit in um, the the way that we're doing now. The, the basic idea is that because it's Halloween and everyone's dressed up, these villains can all go out and have a nice uh, meal in an Italian restaurant. And it it's, how do I put it? It's kind of this weird, whimsical idea that makes absolutely no sense. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I can't put my finger on it. Like, I'm sort of like, I'm like, yes, I want cute Batman and Robin as someone who's, you know, had read a bunch of Batman and Sons uh, on on the internet, like a couple of years back. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm so down, like, like, do the cute Batman and Robin stuff. Like, take some of these characters, if they're popular in this way on the internet, you know, You've got the freedom with a digital comic to try and create a version of that, you know, and see if it actually if you can get enough people to sell, because clearly there are people who are interested in cute Batman and Robin. Um, But for whatever reason, I was just sitting there and it's never it's never quite like, oh, and the Joker's wearing his stapled on face like they didn't quite go that far. But but there was (laughs) just this weird version of like, huh, but this doesn't work for me in a weird part part of it is that whole idea of like you know just having someone with big eyes going om nom nom no longer counts as uh i don't know original or cute enough to to be to be worthwhile you know what i mean like i don't know it's kind of weird i i really am bummed that i i dropped the money for little gotham that the art looks so phenomenal for it and then I spent a lot of time being like, that was not great. And of course, the next issue, they're going to be doing uh, Thanksgiving. So I'm like, maybe it'll work better. But I think that if it's like Batman trying to tell teach Damien about Thanksgiving, and then they go into, I don't know, a hotel restaurant where Batman's rogues are hanging out trying to eat a turkey dinner or something, I'm going to be very disappointed. I don't know. I don't... It'll be Christmas, the issue after that, where they can all get together for another meal. Right, exactly. I'm kind of having this weird, like, you know, and let me tell you, if there was, like, an actual Batman cooking comic, I would be all over that shit, as you know. I would be so into that. But there's just some sort of weird idea of like, here are the characters, but we don't really have enough of a conception of characters. Like, I'm perfectly okay with having the rogues 
basically get together and perform some sort of Halloween mischief that really isn't about crime, if you know what I'm saying. But the idea that they're just that there's this weird angle in this issue of like them being all like, oh, yeah, God, if only we didn't look like this and we could just fit in with everyone else. Like, I'm kind of like that seems to me like such a weird misunderstanding of of any Batman rogue ever that I just, you know, with with the exception of maybe Mr. Freeze or something that I just I couldn't my brain just broke under the weight of it, you know. Um, or maybe my brain just breaks under the amount of weird, like, you know, like I shouldn't really expect any sort of in-character behavior from, you know, That's... a cutesy watercolored Batman. <laughs> kind of what I was just thinking. Kids like, book. If you're looking for a kid's book, I don't think you can necessarily get in-character behavior from the Batman villains. How do I put it? It's not necessarily in-character behavior, but they've got to be... There's some, You've still got to kind of be true to the conception of the characters, I guess. You know what I mean? I can see that. Yeah. So, like I said, there's this thing of, like, if they're going to steal everyone's candy or they're going to build, like, the world's spookiest haunted house... You know, there's a variety of factors that I can go with, but I guess I just had this weird thing of like, again, just this weird idea of like, you know what, the more than anyone else, the Batman's rogues characters are really about the, they're the flip side of Batman. And so therefore part of what motivates them is their desire to be not normal, you know? And so kind of doing this little thing. I guess there was also just sort of a little bit of the angle of like, you know, if Robin had jumped down and tried to kick some kids in the head, that would be one thing. But when he actually kicks them and their masks fly off and they run off screaming and Batman's like, no, Damien, you can't do it that way. I'm like, I don't know. I just had that weird thing of like, he kicked those kids in the head, you know? What a dick. Yeah, it really was like, what a dick. And there was also just that level of Batman kind of being like, well, that's okay. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to damage some innocent people in order to learn lessons. You know, you know, consistent with Batman to me. What's that? That seems entirely consistent with Batman for me. Yeah, well, I guess that's the problem. It seems really consistent with the very modern version of Batman, but I'm like, yeah, well, in that case, just throw a stapled face of Joker on there, and then afterwards you can show, you know, uh, Batman penetrating Catwoman on a roof somewhere. You know, it's. I just had this weird thing of like, I'm like, this... too. <laughs> This is, it's not supposed to be the new 50. It fit in a little too closely with the new 52 while also being wrong and out of character. So somehow I was like, they, the, the two crucial choices that they were supposed to make, they somehow fucked up on, you know? You, you're not selling this book in me. I don't feel like I missed anything. Let's put it that way. Well, that's it, you know? And, and uh, hopefully, you know, someone who felt differently, because God knows, A, uh, the people who listen to our show and leave comments are fan- phenomenal, I think, about articulating their points very well. Um, like, uh, they can correct me if they think I'm wrong and why. And, you know, but for now, it I was shocked that a 99-cent uh, impulse purchase where I was kind of like, I have no, I don't expect anything from this book, you know, to put it down and be like, well, they screwed that up is kind of a weird, like I had to sit down and figure out why my reaction was that way. 
Someone had no expectations. How come my expectations were dashed? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How can that happen? So, um, and I think that's it. You know, I, sh- I should give the, the heads up to listeners that thanks to uh, a few fine upstanding sorts like uh, um, Ben Lipman and uh, good old John Kane and uh, uh, actually, unfortunately, uh, oh gosh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna drop his name because I've got two thirds of it right. Uh, Julian Louis Louis Blair uh, sent me. They they all sent me um, Marvel subscription uh, Marvel digital copy codes as have you, Graham, um, for books that they had paid three ninety nine for and didn't want to you know or have any interest in redeeming the digital copy code they've sent them along to me so i have the only issue actually out of everything that i've gotten that i've read was captain america issue 19 thanks to you which was the last issue of ed brubaker um that i quite liked it was weird reading a marvel comic again i've downloaded a batch of marvel comics and so next time when we talk it might be one of those weird, like, hey, how about Wolverine the X-Men issue 13, huh? Huh? You know, like, it will not be timely, but I could be talking about Marvel Comics soon. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Now that you're, you're, you've stopped going cold turkey, now that you're going to be jumping back on the horse. We'll see, yeah. Whether you... Whether you'll miss it. You're going to read them and be like, fuck, I really, really enjoyed this. Well, you know, I have to say I'm a little reluctant. I don't think that it's really surprising that we're recording this, you know, a week after I got, you know, most of these codes longer in some cases. And I've only read one comic. Oh, no, I, I but I, that's what I'm saying. I'm curious when you read them. Yeah. Whether you have a, you know, a, a, I don't know, guilt maybe of enjoying them and, yeah. and whether you find yourself wishing that you could buy them or wanting to buy them or even buying them. Right. Or the flip side, not buying them and not reading them, which may end up happening as well. So we'll see. It, it, I think it'll be completely in your favor in a weird way. If you hate them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or better, if you're just completely cold, if you're like, yep, that was a comic. Right. Well, and that was it. I mean, part of it is I've been off for such a long, long run of Brubaker's Captain America that I came back to it and I appreciated everything that he was doing in it, but it didn't, you know, and it it's it's a it's a grace note issue. It's not designed to be a and then, you know, it's it's very much a a, a really smart issue that manages to somehow talk about what it means to be Captain America while simultaneously what it means to be a writer for a work for hire comic, you know? And, and I, so in a way, part of me is like uh, a lot of other stuff is going to have trouble kind of hitting that, just that sort of level of craft. Um, But at the same time, I wasn't exactly, I mean, admittedly, you told me a lot about it. So maybe part of it was I didn't, I didn't walk into it um, and be completely surprised. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I I don't know. There is, there is a way in which part of me is going to be, you know, I, (laughs) I, Coming into it, I was definitely between like being able to pick up old issues of Suicide Squad you know, on comiXology. Oh, shit. 
that's what I have to talk about. Everybody, including Graham, the book that I picked up last week that I was like, what am I thinking about? The best comic book that I've read pretty much all month is the third issue of Popats, um, put out by Ad House Books. Um, and do you remember the name of the artist, uh, the the cartoonist? Ethan someone. Am I Ethan, re- is it Persoff? It's not Persoff. It's, it's Ethan something. I'm trying to Google it. Yeah, so am I. It's apparently not Ethan, seeing as I'm not getting any. Really? Ethan Riley. There we go. Ethan Riley. Uh, and is it Riley spelled weird, like R-I-L-L-Y or something, or no? Why? Really, maybe? Yeah, Arthur Riley or, or real. Yeah, Riley, really. However it is, people, I know it's tough that, that I think the first issue of Popats is out of print, I think. So you can only get issue two somewhere or issue three. It uh, and, and I mean, issue three is out. It does not matter. Go pick up issue three. I, it's kind of absurdly expensive, too, because it's at House Books. It's like six ninety five. I think it's 50, might be 40 some odd pages, but it is phenomenal. It was like six ninety five for thirty pages, or yeah. something. Six ninety five for thirty pages, not a great you know bang for the buck. But forty pages. Four oh, there zero. we go. Okay, yeah, four zero. Sorry, um, it's fantastic. It really is phenomenal. It was like among the best books. I don't know how to describe it, but I think <sighs> there's a lot of people who you might be actually be a great person to read Popat's Graham uh, because. You know how there's a lot of people who really admire um, the technical chops of, say, Adrian Tomine or Chris Ware, but actually find their worldview like a little too bleak, I suppose, and or uh, labored, I suppose? Yes, that that's a very nice way of putting uh, my reaction to their work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's tough to see where it is going to necessarily end up, but the third issue of Popats shows is is and same with the second issue. The majority of, of both issues uh, is a story of two women living uh, essentially in New York, where one is an overworked paralegal with uh, insomnia, and the other one is a an actress a wannabe actress um who may have a little bit of problem with alcohol and with all in between all the exquisite cartooning is just the real world presented in a way that you recognize um without it being where the judgments may go, there's certainly a certain amount of ominous, ominous foreshadowing in the third issue of Popats, but currently you're basically just seeing um, real life <laughs> being lived by people complete with, you know, too many parties and too much work and too much work intrigue. Um, but, oh my God, like I admit I'm, I'm in Really's wheelhouse because not only is his art perfect, but if he hasn't worked for like a big defense law firm, he knows at least one person or a lot of people who have. So his stories of what it's like 
for people to work away in this major glass building where there's sort of absurd amounts of luxury bordering on uh, the verge of waste and absurd amounts of stress, you know, um, bordering on, you know, the verge of persecution is just is just dead on. And it's really, really great. I I will look it out. I remember lots of people were very excited before it launched, before it came out. Yeah, I, and I was one of those people. And so when it was last week, it was out. I was like, holy shit, I cannot wait to get and pick it up. And I have to say, uh, I, I, I read it, and I read it in just that sort of the way that you kind of luxuriate in a warm bath. Like I just, I just, I, I all but I, I tried to read it slower because his his cartooning chops are absolutely phenomenal and fully formed. I haven't been paying attention to him, but he almost reminds me of. Um, do you remember R. Kikuo Johnson? Um, yes. He he reminds me of having like Johnson's level of like, well, holy shit! Here's somebody who just knows like knows how to cartoon in black and white and can just seemingly do everything and has learned all the right lessons um and and yet unlike johnson whose work whose first piece i didn't think ended up being uh, really that impressive at all uh i i feel like poe Patz is slowly edging toward what may be a, just an absolutely phenomenal work. The closest thing I think you can tell by the comparison with the two girls is, um, you know, a, a quick comparison would be like, like saying that it's like a 20 something version of, of ghost world, but it's really just very, very different. Um, you know, with, with s stronger influences, a very, a much more modern, more deft conception i think uh, of of how to handle some of its thematic ambiguity so big thumbs up it's really good yeah yeah so i'm so glad that i remembered that of course now i realize we are ridiculously uh over <laughs> i'm glad that we got that in i'm glad that we were like we ended in, on a high note jeff lester Yes. Yeah, that I think you're right, Graham McMillan. I think that is something that we actually managed to do. So um, listeners, uh, I, I think we're going to be back next week, although it's going to be a little funky. We'll probably not be back the week after since that'll be Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know. Hang on. Let me. It's isn't. I guess it is. Thanksgiving's two weeks from now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's not do two weeks from now because that's Thanksgiving, Jeff. Exactly. Very sensible, Graham. That being said, uh, oh. next week I'm going to be on the road for the first couple of days. So when I dash back in on Thursday, I may be about as equally unprepared um, as far as up to date with comics. So you'll have to once again carry carry it for both of us. That's that's my job. <laughs> Not all the time. Most of the time, it's the other way around. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that either. But the way you're like, well, that's my job. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, hold on there. <laughs> One second, sir. You, I, I think I should challenge you to a duel so you can shoot me in my remarkably abundant beard. Um, <laughs> Listeners, please leave comments. Uh, at savagecritic.com when this post goes up telling Jeff how great his beard is. Jeff is hopefully going to put up the picture that is now on his Skype. Um, 
to accompany this episode so that you can see Jeff's beard and, for that matter, Jeff looking victorious. Jeff doesn't normally look victorious. It's that, not Jeff's way. But Jeff looks, he's, I think it's fair to say, you rock in that photo. <laughs> I, I will concede the, the, the rocking, uh, especially in that photo. Yeah. So. Why not? Uh, or through some other sort of podcast thing, which means you didn't get it through Savage Critic. Um, I think you should go to Savage Critic and see this photograph because it's great. SavageCritic.com will hopefully have this photograph. And if not, Jeff will have to edit all of this out. That's right. Well, I think I can probably throw it in in the show notes without without being too problematic. And that should point out people, for those of you... Um, Oh, no. I, I guess the people who listen to our podcast all the way through don't necessarily see the show notes, because as far as I can tell, a lot of the people who appreciate the show notes are the people who aren't going to put up with two hours of our shenanigans, but do want to hear us talk about specific uh, points. So, um, you know, for example, uh, when Sean Howe actually dropped me an email about our podcast, for example, I would... I didn't get a podcast, an email from Sean Howe. Oh, you didn't? Ah. <laughs> Was it was he complimentary? He was, he was. And actually, when I say an email, I realize now it was just a, a quick note on Facebook, which was probably easy for him because one of the only things I've done in Facebook in the last five months was made it a point to to like Marvel Comics: The Untold Story. He dropped a note, a uh, very short note, which was very funny, basically saying like, first off, let me say that um, I wholeheartedly agree with all your compliments and take issue with any of your, you know, any of your, anything you didn't like. Um, but, uh, but he did say you're ab- he, he very specifically, he was like, you're absolutely right about the, the disconnect between the two versions of the John Byrne story. And that was a, kind of like a huge goof on our part. And essentially saying like, if there's anything, if the, you can think of any other misgaffes that are like that, Please point them out because I'd love to be able to correct them in a future edition. That's sick. Look yeah. at you. You're editing to the stars. Editing to the stars. Well, I thought it was a very smart move. I mean, because at that point, I was just like, absolutely. I, and of course, I really was. I was like, huh, I can't think of anything other than complaining about a bunch of other shit. You know what I mean? Because that was, that was a gaffe. But like when I'm like, yeah, you know what? You should probably mention... Uh, that Joe Fields created, you know, free comic book day, as long as you're mentioning a retailer. Oh, you know what, Graham? Actually, when we were talking about Marvel Comics, the untold story, I was like, I knew that there was like some moment that like, I had this weird, like, I can't believe that how chose not to use this story as part of his part of the, the, like one of those like great anecdotes for that. He's so filled with in the book. Um, and when we were talking about it, I couldn't think of it. I'm like, God, I know there's one that I would have liked to have seen. And admittedly, A, I'm biased, and B, I can see why he didn't do it because uh, it would have he would have had to write a very different approach to the late '90s, early 2000s. But you know, it is worth noting historically that the opening weekend of Spider-Man, the the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire was the weekend that Brian Hibbs, uh, you know, had and a class action, a suit, uh, a class of retailers sued Marvel for failing to um, basically uh, not make their books returnable under the diamond sales agreement for things that they had misrepresented, essentially. You uh, win. What's that? 
Didn't they win? They, 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 they did win. Well, the, by winning, what happened was there was a great settlement. I don't think that it was, it was closed, but essentially Marvel worked with the class came out with an agreement that worked very well the retail you know the retailers were thrown in you know were compensated for the values of the books it was it was exactly everything that a, a class action lawsuit is set up to be because it it ended up benefiting both people both both parties i should say um as i recall the retailers were incredibly happy with it uh and it also changed how things were done you know, I really think that without that, we wouldn't have the, um, you know, final ordering cut off and some of the other things that we have that are, you know, different ways to prevent that sort of situation from happening again. You know, admittedly, part of the part of the way that they prevent that from happening again is Marvel also went on to change it, uh, its term terms of sales and its contracts. So, um, but yeah, it was an actual form of redress, but it also would have been a very nice point of pointing out how even as Marvel was on the verge of being succeeding uh, in, in with film, it was also still having to, to mm, find its way in the direct retail marketplace. Take that, Sean Howe. Yeah, but of course, Sean Howe and anyone who's read the book would be like, but that anecdote would be absolutely meaningless in the book as it's written now because, you know, the whole history of the direct retail market is not really a focus uh, in the book. Like I said, I kind of think a little bit to its, its detriment. I mean, you know. Um, yep. Yeah, yes and no. Because in order to really address that, that mm-hmm. book would be exercise. Right, exactly. And as it was, it was already, like, yeah, a little, little bit on the form of exhaustion. So I can kind of see his point. I can see your point, but I can kind of see his point as well. Yes. Yeah. So and on that, you did notes. Hey. <laughs> yes. Do you want to sing us out, Graham? Bye. Perfect. <laughs>